Good morning again. This morning we are beginning uh, a new sermon series. We have finished up, sadly, last week the book of Leviticus, and we are beginning this week uh, to go through the book of Galatians. And uh, we're going to really, this morning, kind of do an overview of the whole book of Galatians. So I thought I'd just start reading in chapter 1, verse 1, and move through to chapter 6, verse 18. No, I'm kidding. Um, uh, Bryce read a number of selections from the book uh, of Galatians, sort of to get a a taste of the book as a whole. I'm going to read just the first uh, couple of verses for us in a minute here. Uh, after we pray. Uh, Let me say, if you don't have a Bible, uh, there are Bibles on the table just outside the doors. You should feel free to grab one of those. And if you don't own a Bible, you should feel free not only to grab one this morning, but take it with you, write your name in it, take it home, keep it as your own, and then bring it back week after week as we study God's Word together. Well, before we read the first couple verses of Galatians and dive in, let's, let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this new journey we get to go on together, delving into this, this new book. Uh, we thank you, Father, for the Apostle Paul who wrote this book. And uh, we thank you uh, for your Holy Spirit who guided him and who now guides us as we read and as we hear. And we pray, Father, that you would pour out your spirit on us, uh, that you would enable us to understand the scriptures Uh, that you would bring your good news message home to our hearts, uh, that you would draw us closer to you, uh, closer to your son Jesus. Father, we pray that you would be glorified as the message of the gospel grips us more fully than it ever has. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let me read for us just the first couple verses of the book of Galatians. Paul. An apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Sometimes you hear lies at church. I know, I know, I'm, I'm a pastor, I'm not supposed to say that kind of thing, but it's true. Uh, sometimes you hear lies when you come to church. One of those lies that uh, you often hear, either explicitly or implicitly, when you come to a church is that, uh, that the church is for good people who keep all the rules. Sometimes you hear this actually as a reason for why people don't go to church. I don't, I don't know if you've ever heard this, but I've had people say to me before, well, uh, I'm just not good enough for church. Have you ever heard that before? Somebody say, I'm not, I'm not good enough to go to church. Um, sometimes you see this in the attitudes of the people at church, right? Uh, so we come to church on Sunday morning, we, we look our best, we talk our best, and we sometimes look down on other people, right? Uh, We talk about the news and we wonder how people could do such sinful, stupid, awful things. Or uh, we shake our heads and we say, I just don't understand why they fill in the blank. 
And uh, the people around us instantly know, right, that this is not a place for screwing up or you'll be judged. Sometimes it's sad to say you hear that kind of thing from the pulpit, that the church is a place for people who have it all together. It's sad. Uh, It's sad because actually the church is not a place for good people who keep all the rules. The church is a place for sinners who struggle. The church is a hospital, not a bodybuilding competition. The church is is not a place for hopping on the treadmill of, of keeping all the rules, leading to a room full of very tired and guilty people. The church is a place for living in the freedom of forgiveness and walking in the power of the Spirit. This morning we're going to begin hearing from Paul's letter uh, to the people of Galatia. Paul was was one of the people God used to write uh, different portions of the Bible. And we're going to start this morning by getting an overview of Paul's letter as a whole. Of course, as an overview, that means we're not going to delve into all of the details this morning, uh, but we're going to look at kind of the, the big movement of the argument And yet, obviously, we're going to have to go into enough detail to get a sense of the whole. In some ways, I'm just going to be bringing a lot of issues up this morning and not resolving most of them, which means you're going to be very frustrated by the end of the sermon because I'm going to have brought a lot of questions to your mind and answered like none. Uh, But that's just a way of saying you have to keep coming back, right? Um, You can see that our outline this morning is a little more detailed than normal. There are two main points there, though, the lies we're told and the news we need. I should say uh, one more thing before we uh, jump in, and that is that uh, we we did read some selections from the book of Galatians. We didn't read the whole thing, Uh, but let me encourage you. The book of Galatians is actually pretty short. It's six chapters long. So let me encourage you to, to try at least at some point this week, sit down and just read through the book, the whole book, like all at once. Uh, to get a cup of coffee if you need it, right? Uh, whatever, jolt, you know, whatever caffeine uh, you need, and sit down and read through the book of Galatians, right? To get the whole message all at once. Uh, there's real value in doing that with any book of the Bible, uh, because you, you, you're, not just getting a, you're not just getting a little piece of it, but you're getting the whole thing, and you're seeing it in context, and you're seeing the flow of the writer's argument. So let me encourage you to do that at some point this week. Maybe you can do it this afternoon, maybe later in the week. Sit down, read through the book of Galatians. Right? That will prepare your mind. That will bring up more questions probably, but it'll, it'll, it will prepare your mind as we study through it together. All right, before we jump into the outline, actually, there are two more things to say about the book. And, and that is, is first that the, the book of Galatians is a letter. Uh, it's a letter. It was written by Paul, a guy named Paul, to the people of Galatia, which is, is probably parts of southern Turkey today. It's a, as a letter, it's, it's not a theological treatise. Um, it's, uh, Paul is addressing a specific audience in a specific time in a specific place and uh, that's important as we read through this letter and so we need to ask as we go okay who is this guy Paul right who, who is Paul writing to uh, what's the context what's the situation what's going on uh, we're, we're going to touch on that today, of course, but that's going to continually shape the way we hear this letter as we move through it. We, we are essentially reading someone else's mail. We're, we're eavesdropping on someone else's conversation. 
And, uh, you know, we don't want to misunderstand that because we don't have the whole context. And so we need to listen carefully. We need to eavesdrop well, right, so that we get all of our facts straight. Uh, the second thing to note as we, as we approach Galatians is that the letter of Galatians is about a kind of in-house argument. And uh, what I mean that is that there's an argument going on in the book of Galatians. Paul had preached a message to, to these people, but some other people had come along afterward and, and contradicted what Paul said. They preached a different message. And, and I say it's an in-house argument because these people called themselves Christians. And so the debate in the letter is, a de is not a debate between Christians and, and non-Christians, but it's a, a debate between two different versions of Christianity. Uh, and that said, of course, that doesn't mean if you're not a Christian sitting here that this letter isn't going to benefit you, right? In, in fact, this debate is really at the heart of Christianity. Uh, if, you, if you get the crux of what Paul is saying in this letter to the Galatians, you, you really get the heart of the Christian message. So the book of Galatians is really a great book to come to if you're not a Christian and you want to understand what is the core of the Christian message. Okay, so let's jump in to the outline. And we're first going to start out with the lies that were told. See, Paul was writing to a group of churches he had founded but someone else came after him and taught a different message, a different gospel, Paul says. Uh, the, the word gospel means good news or good message. Uh, in chapter 1, verse 9, Paul says that these people were preaching to you a gospel, a message, contrary to the one you received. Chapter 3, verse 1, he says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Meaning, uh, who has you under their spell that you would turn from what I preached to you. Chapter 5, verse 7, he says, Who has hindered you from obeying the truth? See, it's as if Paul had started these churches, and then he, he moved on, and another pastor came along and began preaching a different message from Paul. And the Galatians were starting to buy it. Well, what was that message? In some ways, it's a little hard to say what their message was, because how do we know? We're, we're reading one half of the conversation. It's like hearing one half of a telephone conversation. You can only really guess at what the person is saying on the other end. So we only know the message of Paul's opponents by implication from the arguments that Paul makes. Does that make sense? Um, which, and that's tricky, of course. Uh, so we don't want to focus too much on their arguments because we don't want to end up reading into the letter. Uh, and so our main focus is going to be on Paul's response. But, but it's worth at least noting what their arguments likely were before we come to Paul's response. And so there are four components to it. Uh, the first is, the first lie that we often hear, sometimes even in church, is uh, that the Bible has no authority. Now, okay, that's not exactly what Paul's opponents were saying. What they were saying is that Paul had no authority. They were probably uh, teaching that Paul got his message from uh, the apostles in Jerusalem. Now, uh, apostle is someone who is appointed. The apostles were men who were appointed by Jesus as his official representatives. Uh, apostle just means one who was sent out. And, and, and these men in Jerusalem were appointed to bear witness to Jesus' resurrection, to the historical fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And Paul's opponents were teaching that Paul, this guy Paul, this preacher, he got his message from these Jerusalem apostles. That's where his message came from. 
he got his message from Jesus' representatives in Jerusalem. And therefore, this is their argument, therefore Paul had no real authority of his own, right? No real authority of his own. In fact, they taught that Paul was actually perverting the message of the Jerusalem apostles. He got it from them, but he didn't get it quite right. And they had come to correct Paul. They had come to set things straight. Now, we don't tend to hear such detailed arguments about Paul's authority today, uh, but we do hear arguments against the authority of, of Scripture. And the question for us is really the same question. Uh, does Paul's message in Galatians, in the Bible, does Paul's message have any authority? Uh, do I need to take this book seriously, or can I dismiss it and just move on with my life? Well, that's the first part of their message, the first part of the, the lies. That is, uh, they were questioning Paul's authority, saying, you don't need to listen to this guy. He doesn't have it right. The second uh, thing that they taught was that God's blessing is for people who jump through certain cultural hoops. God's blessing is only for people who jump through certain hoops. Uh, this is really the heart of their teaching, that to be right with God, to have God's blessing, one had to do certain things. Specifically, one had to follow the law of Moses. That is, they were teaching that, that if, if you wanted God's blessing, you had to follow God's law given to Moses on Mount Sinai. Paul's opponents were sometimes called uh, Judaizers because they taught that, the, that Gentiles, that is non-Jewish people, who came to faith in Jesus had to take on the Jewish law, right? They had to be circumcised, which is sort of the first step of taking on the Jewish law, if they were going to be accepted by God and if they were going to live a life pleasing to God. You have to take on the law of Moses, they taught. Didn't matter whether you were Jewish or not, if you want to find God's blessing, they were saying you had to believe in Jesus and become Jewish by taking on the Jewish law. And so the, the message of these people, the message of the Judaizers was Jesus, yeah, Jesus, believe in him, but it's Jesus plus the law, right? Jesus plus Moses. For the Judaizers, you had to be both baptized into Jesus and circumcised into Moses. It was a, it was a both and type thing. And to put it differently, the Judaizers taught that God's promised blessings were to Abraham, the father of the Jewish people. That's true. We read in the Bible, God's blessings are to Abraham. But they also taught, if you want God's promised blessings, that means you must become a child of Abraham through circumcision. Right? And so God's blessings were only for those who were willing to jump through certain cultural hoops. And the effect of that was both to constrain Christianity to a sect of Judaism, right? Not its own thing. You have to become Jewish in order to be Christian, they taught. But the, the other effect was to add our works, our law-keeping, our obedience to this law to Jesus' work. And so the second lie is that God's blessing is only for those who work, only for those who do, only for those who are willing to take on the Mosaic law and fulfill it. Okay, the third thing they said, that, that rule-keeping will make us into good people. Rule-keeping, third lie, right? Rule-keeping will make us into good people. You know, everywhere you look, conflict happens. Uh, we all have desires. More often than not, our desires conflict with other people's desires, and strife breaks out. The only way you don't know that is if you are single, living alone, right? As soon as you live with anyone else, you realize conflict happens. 
We have habits, right, that we don't like, but we can't stop. Uh, ultimately, we have sinful behaviors that, that rebel against the Creator God and His order for the universe. The question is, how do we bring our behavior under control? How do we, how do we rein in our desires? And I don't know about you, but my Christian life, it, it's often like a roller coaster, right? I, I do some stupid, sinful thing. I fight hard against that for a little while and finally stop. I'm doing pretty well, and then I fall back into that same stupid, sinful thing again. Well, the, the, the Judaizers' answer for that was the Mosaic Law, right? If, if you want to live the Christian life, just, just start obeying the Law of Moses, and uh, pattern your life after the law of Moses, they taught, and you will control the desires of your flesh. It's that easy. This is actually, we, we do this all the time in the church as well. Right? What's the solution to our sinful behavior? How do we stop these things? Well, our answer often is, well, you just add more rules. Right? Uh, tell yourself to stop it. And if that doesn't work, tell yourself louder. Just add some more rules. Do this, don't do that, right? Create a rigid system of rules that ensure you will never do anything wrong. It was actually popular in the Judaism of, of Jesus in Paul's day to talk about putting a fence around the law. So you not only kept God's law, but you added rules to that to ensure that you never even got close to breaking God's law. Good people, we sometimes think, good people are those who keep all the rules. Right? That's what it's about. Just, just follow the rules. Whether that's the Mosaic Law or something you made up yourself. Fourth lie that we often hear. So, uh, lie number one, that the Bible has no authority or Paul has no authority. Uh, rule number two, God's blessing is for, lie number two, God's blessing is for those who jump through certain cultural hoops. Lie number three, rule keeping will make us good people. Lie number four, the good news of grace is just too easy. Uh, it, it appears that the Judaizers thought that Paul had dropped the requirement of circumcision to create a more user-friendly gospel. You know, people are more likely to believe your message if you make it easy. And so taking out the requirement for circumcision and obedience to the Mosaic law, that certainly makes it easier. And so his opponents were saying, possibly even that, that Paul believed in circumcision, but he didn't preach it because he wanted to make it easier on himself and on his hearers. Now, you actually hear the same thing sometimes today when the good news is preached. Uh, the, the gospel, you know, is that God loves and forgives people, not because of anything you do, but only because of Jesus. People have often said, that's, well, that's just too easy, right? That's going to encourage people to sin. Uh, that's easy believism, Right? We, people might say, that's, it's too easy, you've got to do something. Right? Uh, you're, you're watering down the commands of the Bible, people say, to make it easy on others. Well, we'll see as we go through Galatians whether Paul is actually watering down anything or not, or whether it's going to be easy to, to uh, follow Christ the way Paul talks about. But uh, even, you know, even non-Christians actually sometimes say this kind of thing. Uh, they say that the good news, uh, it's just too good to be true. It's too good to be true. I can be forgiven of everything I've ever done just by believing in Jesus. No, that's, that's too easy. Too good to be true. There's no free lunch, right? Nothing in life is free. God must expect something of us in order to be forgiven. So those are the four lies, right? 
Uh, the Bible has no authority. God's blessing is for people who jump through the, the hoops. Rule keeping will make us good people. And the good news of grace, well, that's just too easy. So now we turn to Paul's response. And we'll spend a little more time here. Turn to the news that we need, not the lies that we're told. Uh, let, me, let me again say, this is just an overview, right? Uh, we're we're going to dive into each of these things week after week as we go through Paul's letter in Galatians. And we're going to take it slow uh, as we go. But for now, we're just going to give an overview of these four main points. And, and the first point is that the good news is from God and not from men. You know, Paul doesn't get past verse 1 without telling us that he is an apostle an appointed representative, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. Right? So right away, when Paul introduces himself, he says he's an official representative of Jesus, and he was appointed such through Jesus himself on the road to Damascus. We'll talk about that as we get there. He, he really gets into this further in uh, chapter 1, verses 11 through chapter 2, verse 10. Uh, 1, 11, and 12, he says, For I would have you know, brothers... That the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. See, Paul wants us to know that where, this is where his gospel came from. It didn't come from these people in Jerusalem. His gospel came from Jesus. Paul spends a number of verses telling us that his message did not come from other people, but straight from Jesus himself. Particularly, he stresses that he didn't get it from the apostles in Jerusalem. Well, why is that so important? Uh, well, the Galatians needed to know the source of Paul's message. It's possible the Judaizers taught right, that the Jerusalem apostles agreed with them, not with Paul. In which case, if Paul got his message from them, he had gotten his message wrong. And so the question is, on what authority did Paul preach? What, what authority lies behind this book? Is it just the Jerusalem apostles? Is it, uh, is it Paul himself? No, Paul says his authority is from Jesus. That's where his message comes from. Now, this again, it, it actually is still an important question for us today, right? I mean, should you listen to the letter of Galatians? We're going to spend a number of weeks, maybe months, going through this book. Is it worth it, right? Why are we doing this? If it's merely the, the ravings of a first century Jew named Paul who happened to have a fallout with his fellow first century Jews, it might be of some value, but it's probably not worth changing your life over. But if what Paul says is true, what if, what if his message really did come as a revelation from a risen Jesus Christ? That is, what if Jesus really did rise from the dead, as he said he would, and then he revealed why that was so important to Paul? on a certain Damascus road? Well, the question is, by what authority did Paul write? Right? That's, that's not just some kind of antiquarian question. It's not just solving a geeky historian's curiosity, right? It, this is the question of whether Christ is the risen Lord that he claimed to be, and therefore of whether we owe him our allegiance as the king of heaven and earth. Paul claims to be the appointed emissary of this king. His message, Paul says, his gospel is not man's gospel. We'll talk about that as we work through Galatians. The book that we are about to study is not man's book, Paul says. This is God's message to the nations. Okay, well, what is that message? Uh, next point. God's blessing 
is for all those who believe, all those who, like Abraham, believe. The Judaizers taught God's blessing was for those who kept the Mosaic law. And so were considered Abraham's children through the law. But Paul teaches, to the contrary, chapter 3, verse 7, that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. And he really spends the larger part of his book hammering away at this point in different ways. The uh, first way he puts it in chapter 2, 15 through 3, 18, uh, he says, Justification by faith, or justification is by faith and not by works of the Mosaic law. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Okay, so what does that mean? Justification is the act of being declared righteous. It's the opposite of condemnation. It's more than innocent. It's, it's being positively declared in the right. Now, one way to think about justification is, you know, we often try to do things to justify our existence. To, to prove that we have a place in the world. To prove that we belong. Justification is God saying, you belong, you fit in my world, you're rightly related to me and the world in which you live. Paul teaches that no one is justified, no one is declared in the right by works of the law, but only by faith in Jesus. You don't have to prove yourself, you don't have to prove that you deserve a place in the world. God gives us that place on account of the work of his Son. Now, that may not make any sense to you yet, uh, but the question to ask as we move forward in Galatians, the question to ask of yourself is, is, what do I look to in order to prove that I belong? What do I look to in order to prove that I have a place? What do I look to in order to, to, to justify myself, to prove that I'm righteous or to prove that I'm right or to prove that, that, that I'm rightly related to God and his world? What do I turn to? If we are right with God by faith and not by works of the Mosaic Law, one thing that means is actually that, that the gospel is not bound to Jewish culture. That's what the Judaizers taught, right? The gospel, gospel's good, Jesus is good, yeah, that's fine, but, but, you, but it's bound to Jewish culture. You have to become Jewish. And, uh, of course, if we're justified by faith and not by the Mosaic Law, not by works of the law, then the gospel is not bound to Jewish culture. And, of course, if it's not bound to Jewish culture, that means it's actually not bound to any culture which is a really important point. You know, often people try to tie Christianity to certain cultural norms, right? Uh, so a certain style of music, right? Like you have to have this kind of music or you have to use an organ. Certain style of clothing, right? You have to wear a suit and tie. I happen to be wearing a suit and tie this morning, but you don't have to wear a suit and tie to be a Christian, right? Um, or people tie Christianity to uh, certain rules, right? Certain rules about tobacco and alcohol or certain rules about dating. Even certain political agendas sometimes, right? People tie Christianity to a certain, a particular political agenda. But those are all cultural norms and not biblical norms, right? While Christianity is, is always incarnated in a particular culture, it is bound to no particular culture, even God-given Jewish culture of the Old Testament variety, right? If God didn't bind Christianity to that culture, it certainly isn't bound to any other. Paul has some strong things to say about the Mosaic Law, actually. And so it's important that we realize as we move, Paul is not actually disagreeing with the Old Testament law. Uh, that's really important. Uh, he's not saying, as we go through, he's not saying Old Testament is bad, New Testament is good. 
He does disagree with the Judaizers' interpretation of the law. Paul is arguing against someone else's interpretation of the Old Testament, not the Old Testament itself, which makes it a little tricky. Uh, but when, we, when he gets to the question, though, of why the law, why is the law there in the first place, Paul says the Mosaic law was given to be a, a legal guardian. Uh, a legal guardian in that day was when a minor had an adult that kept watch over them, took them to school, brought them home, kept watch over their money, those kinds of things. And being under a guardian to a child feels like slavery. He can't manage his own money, can't manage his own affairs. But the guardian was there to make sure that he reached maturity, you know, that he lived to turn 18, basically. The law, of course, came well after Abraham. And Abraham was given a promise. Moses was given a law. God's blessing comes by promise. Abraham only had to believe. The law, Paul says, doesn't do away with the promise. Rather, it imprisoned everything under sin. Israel was held captive under the law. The law was their guardian, their manager. Paul's not saying, actually, that the Mosaic law is bad. It's easy to misread him that way. But he's saying that it was provisional until Christ came. It had a role much like a legal guardian, until God's people should come to maturity and no longer be spiritual minors. Now, since Christ has come and has given us his spirit, we're no longer spiritual minors, Paul says. We're no longer living like slaves under a guardian. But we've entered into the full experience of our sonship, right? The spirit enables us to relate to God as our father. Paul is saying with the coming of Christ, the object of our faith, the one in whom we believe, we no longer need the Mosaic law which pointed to Christ because now we can experience fully our status as sons of God. By the way, Paul pretty consistently uses the word sons, not sons and daughters. And uh, you might think Paul is being sexist here, uh, but there's actually something much more profound going on. Only sons in that culture got an inheritance. When Paul says, you are sons, speaking to men and women alike, he is saying that both men and women alike have full rights in the Father's house. So actually calling women sons in his letters is profoundly dignifying for women in that culture because he's saying you have the same status as everybody else. You're all sons. So Paul says, in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. God's blessing is for all who believe, just like Abraham believed. Not for all who jump through the hoops. All who believes, all who believe are Abraham's children, heirs of God's promises given to Abraham. The law was put in place for a time, but now we have entered into the full experience of our sonship being the children of God. The result of all this for us is that, that we must believe in God's promise, not rely on our works, not rely on our behavior for our standing with the Father. We're no longer slaves, but sons who have come of age. Slaves must prove themselves by their work as slaves, right? But sons are sons, not by, by work, but by their relationship to their Father. For freedom Christ has set us free, Paul says. Why go back to this rule-based living of the old covenant? That's a return to slavery, he says. Don't go back to slavery. Because we're sons. Live as sons. Of course, if we, if we 
don't turn to the Mosaic law to guide the Christian life, won't that lead to immorality, right? That was one of the accusations thrown at Paul at different times, right? That he taught it was okay to be bad because God would just show you more grace. And if you get rid of the Mosaic law, it would seem like, at least to the Judaizers, then you're just telling people, go live however you want and don't worry about it. Isn't it rule-keeping that makes us good people? Well, Paul's answer, of course, is, is no. Uh, it's not rule-keeping, but the presence of the Spirit who bears fruit in our lives. So the, the last major section in Galatians, Galatians 5, 13 to 6, 10, roughly, uh, Paul begins in that section by saying in, in chapter 5, verse 13, You were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. See, Paul reminds the Galatians they were called to freedom, but... He says freedom can be misused. Rather than misuse our freedom to serve ourselves, we are to serve one another. And the amazing part is, Paul says, in this way, we fulfill the law. Right? He brings the law back up at the end of Galatians and says, uh, the goal of the Old Testament law, it was love. And uh, the goal of the Christian is to fulfill that law by loving one another. Of course, that's easier said than done, uh, as you and I both know. Paul recognizes that, that, that every battle among people is there because of a battle in our hearts, a battle between the flesh and the spirit. Now, the, the flesh is, is, when Paul uses that word, he means our, our sinful self-orientation. Sinful self-orientation, which is natural to all people since our rebellion against God began in the garden. And that sinful self-orientation, Paul says, has certain desires and even certain works, he uses the word works. Notice he picks up on the, the works of the law language here in connection with the flesh. But we not only have this holdover from our conversion, we have this flesh, our old sinful nature, but Christians also have God's very spirit living inside of us. And these do battle, Paul says, the desires of the flesh against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. And our job, he says, is to Walk by the Spirit, so we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit. That sounds easy, doesn't it? Just walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit, and then you won't sin anymore. Well, maybe it isn't quite as easy as it sounds. Essentially, walking by the Spirit means saying no to your old sinful desires and saying yes to the work of the Spirit within you. It's living in dependence on the Holy Spirit, not on self. We'll talk about how to do that, of course, as we go through the book of Galatians, as we study through chapter 5 and 6. But that brings us to one last major point that, that Paul has in Galatians, and that is that grace enables us to boast in nothing but the cross. You know, Paul's opponents taught that Paul had skipped over circumcision, this requirement to be circumcised, because it made it easier to swallow. Right? It made the gospel easier to accept. If I don't have to be circumcised, that's so much easier. Sure, I'll believe anything. Paul defends himself by saying he's not trying to please men. He says that multiple times in the book. In fact, his refusal to preach circumcision, far from making his life easier, had actually caused persecution. It made his life much more difficult. Paul's opponents, on the other hand, Paul says in chapter 6, they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. 
Now, flesh has kind of a double use here. Circumcision was literally done in the flesh, but it was also a work of the flesh. That meaning it was a work that human beings can accomplish in our own strength. Paul's opponents were, were, were wanted to boast to the Jewish people of their day, and they could do that if they got their converts to be circumcised. Right? So, yeah, I'm a Christian, but if, I, but if, I get, if I'm circumcised and I get my converts to be circumcised as well, right, then I can boast to the Jewish people right, so they won't persecute me as a Christian. It enabled them to avoid persecution as Christians in their context. It said to their Jewish neighbors that their version of Christianity was, was just as Jewish as they had always been. Right? Look, even the Gentiles are being circumcised as they become Christians. That's what Paul's opponents wanted to say. Paul's opponents wanted to boast in the flesh. They wanted to boast in human accomplishment. Of course, we're often there. Uh, don't we like to boast in what we can do? Don't we like to feel like we are something because of what we have accomplished? Uh, don't we like to feel like we belong, that we have a place, that we are valuable because of what we do? Or even because of what we are in the flesh? But Paul says in chapter 6, 14, he says, Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. If you are right with the Father, it's not by what you do, but because of what Christ has done in the cross. And if you're, if you're overcoming sin, it is not about fulfilling the, the certain demands of the law, but about Christ's Spirit bearing fruit in your heart. Right? If it's all about what Christ has done in the cross and in His Spirit, then there's really nothing left for you to boast in. Except in Christ and His work on the cross, His Spirit in your heart. And so through the cross, the world and its rules of boasting, the world and its status symbols, it, whether economic or ethnic or geographic or gender comparisons, right? The world and its comparisons of accomplishment, of, of beauty, of wealth, of strength, of knowledge, the world and all the comparisons that we can make in the flesh, these comparisons don't matter. They're irrelevant now. Through Christ, we have died to that way of living. And we are free to boast in the cross. Through the cross of Christ, we are right with our Father. Through the risen Christ, we have received the Spirit who enables us to live a life pleasing to God. And so we boast in Christ, not in the flesh. Not in any division of the flesh, right? Not economic, gender, ethnic, educational, whatever. Not in any accomplishment of the flesh. Not in how much I have done, how much I have learned. Not, not in how many likes I have on a Facebook post or how many retweets I have on Twitter, right? We don't boast in those things. Far be it from me, Paul says, to boast in anything except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father... It's a lot to, to take in, to try to take in a whole book at once, but, but we know there's something in here, something in here that we need. I just pray that we would continue to meditate, begin to meditate on this book of Galatians. Begin to let it soak in. Pray, Father, that throughout this week it would soak in, that uh, as we begin looking at it piece by piece, it would soak in. Pray that you would use this message to transform our hearts and to draw us closer to you through your son Jesus because of what he has done on the cross and what is doing in us by his spirit. 
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.